I think I'll be down here in the floor today just because it's a little warmer down here. The closer together we are, the warmer it is, right? So uh, anyway, thanks for being here today. Pastor Rip, thank you so much for leading us in prayer again and taking our needs to the Lord and uh, just knowing that as we pray with faith, he's faithful. Amen? I mean, I don't know the Lord has ever been unfaithful in anything, anything. and uh, we just need to recognize his goodness and his faithfulness to us. Amen. It's a good thing. So again, Wednesday nights, we're doing our creation study, and we're about halfway through that right now, so um, it's still time. If you want to come in, come on in and be a part of it. We're having a really good time and understanding more and more about how God created. And it is amazing. You know, we can read the story in the Bible, and we can read it very quickly, but when we really know what the words are saying and what Jesus really did and what God did and the Holy Spirit did together as a triune God there, it's just amazing when we see how he works. And it's just really fun to, uh, to learn that more. So that's what we're doing. All right, well, today we want to continue to talk about parables. And um, last week we talked about why Jesus spoke in parables. And um, I learned some things from last week. I didn't realize necessarily that Jesus was moving through different phases of his ministry. Um, and I think we've, we, we learned that last week about how the first part of Jesus' ministry, we've got to remember, it was only three years long. You know, we think that Jesus might have ministered for 40, 50 years, but he didn't. He only really ministered for three years. But his, but his first part of his ministry really was proving who he was, that he really was the Son of God. And it was proven many, many ways through his, uh, his Holy Spirit-led teaching, through the mighty miracles that he did, and he did many miracles. We just re- read a few of them as recorded in the scriptures, but the Bible says that if we could record all of his miracles, it wouldn't, we wouldn't have pages enough that we would fill them up. So he did, a, he did many awesome um, supernatural acts that proved who he was. And even so, the people were still rejecting him as the Messiah, as who he truly was. So as we're coming now into the, into the area of parables, Jesus was changing his ministry from using illustrations, simple, plain, easy-to-understand illustrations, into more in-depth complicated parables, even though they were all truth. And he did it because he had to, um, he was recognizing that as he would come into a group of believers or a group of people that he would speak to, not all of them were truly seekers. Some of them were there only to cause problems, to be problem makers in his, in his ministry. And he was moving now into this third block or third phase of his ministry because he was getting prepared, he was preparing earth and heaven for him to come back as a rejected Messiah and as somebody that was misunderstood and not received well. So parables were a way that he could speak the truth into the hearts of the believers that were ready to hear. And at the same time, he could protect himself and protect the truth from those that were just out there to cause problems that were just out there to pick apart everything he said and to use it against them. And so he spoke in parables at this point where um, he had to explain them to some degree, but as the parables went on and his hearers, his disciples, his followers developed more maturity, they could even understand without being explained. So that's where we're picking up today and that we're understanding that God was uh, moving in a different dimension in the life of Jesus at this point in time. Um, 
you know, the people then that rejected him, they rejected for many reasons. And one of the reasons was because the religious leaders, the Pharisees and, and the, and the um, uh, people that were there for the leading the faith of the time, they were there with a bunch of man-made rules and regulations. And quite honestly, they got very wealthy over that. And they manipulated God's word as a way for them to get rich, as a, as a way for them to gain power over people. And when Jesus started speaking his truths, that was upsetting their agenda. <laughs> Do we know what that's like? <laughs> Have we seen any agendas that maybe God's word is still upsetting today? And how that impacts people that are in leadership and how that causes them to um, become very uncomfortable because truth does set us free. Amen? And when we speak the truth of God's word, we're going to upset the enemy. We're going to upset the agenda of this world because truth does set us free and delivers us from the bondage of their control. And that's one of the things that parables do. So Jesus spoke parables. Larry, can I have my slides, please? Jesus spoke parables as a way to help us with that. The difference between parables and uh, illustrations are very simple. In other words, parables are our are, are truth, but they're intended, though, to teach people from a maybe a hidden perspective, whereas illustrations were very plain and very easy to understand Parables always brought a little bit of a reason or a need to explain. And so that was something that Jesus recognized. And so parables really speak to the heart of the people that are ready to hear. Listen, and this is where we need to be a wise today. This is what we need to learn from today. Parables speak to the heart prepared to hear with the intent of putting action to what Jesus is saying. We can hear things and have no intent of doing them. Amen? We can hear things with having no intent of letting it really change our life. And when we do that, we're totally missing what Christ is trying to say for us, what it do for us. It really is a hard thing for us. And so that's why the importance of parables here is that, and that's what we need to do to prepare our own heart, is that we need to be willing and ready to hear what God is saying to us so that we then can put it into action and that we then can change. So let's listen to the parable of the sower. And I think it's interesting that Jesus begins dealing with the first parable here is dealing with the condition of our heart. He's dealing with the soil of the heart of a person. What better way to start than to start talking, than to talk about the way we, our hearts, are prepared to hear his word. So Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, it says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large, large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. 
Still other seed fell on good soil, where it, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name today, and we ask you to prepare our hearts to hear the word of God today, that we would speak it in a way that would make sense to our, our hearts, and that the Holy Spirit would would inspire us and give us revelation knowledge as we listen to what you would have us to listen to today. So I pray that you would inspire us to hear and to apply your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So at this time, Jesus, as I said before, began to speak in a way that was a little different than what the disciples were used to hearing. And so they even asked him, they came right out point blank and said, Jesus, why are you speaking this way? Why are you speaking in things that maybe it's hard for those that don't understand to understand? Why are you doing that? And so Jesus asked them the parable. So, um, and, and he, asked, he answered the question this way. So if we turn to Mark, I want to go to the, the, the chapter of the book of Mark now. And Mark is going to explain this because this parable was recorded in, in Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, uh, but Mark takes a different, a little interesting perspective on how he records it. And Jesus' answer to the disciples begins with a question. Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? And then he goes and gives the answer. He gives the explanation, beginning at verse 14. He said, The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So Jesus' response to the disciples here is a little bit surprising to me. I mean, he comes up with a pretty direct question, almost a little bit critical that they wouldn't understand the meaning and pick up on the truth of what he's saying. And what I see here is that Jesus really is giving them a challenge. He's giving them a challenge to take maybe a little bit more serious their responsibility for their own spiritual life. You know, Jesus understood that he wasn't going to be here for a long time with his disciples. They were going to be in ministry a lot longer than what he was going to be with them. So he had to begin to teach them how they could glean themselves from God's word. And so I think this is kind of a teaching time for him. And I think it's a good challenge for us as well. I think we, we shouldn't be just content in coming to church, listening to the teacher or the preacher or whoever is teaching and letting them digest the word for us, letting them piece it out and that they have to explain it to us in little tidbits. I think it's important for us to recognize that Jesus is challenging his disciples and he's also challenging us, maybe that we need to seek a little bit more on our own. That we need to get more 
involved in the word of God on our own. That we need to have our own prayer time, our own spiritual quiet time, our own Bible reading time, where we actually, where we seek the presence of the Holy Spirit to let him teach us. There's nothing wrong with sitting under good teaching. There's nothing wrong with sitting under good worship. But I think it becomes more meaningful when we do it on our own. When we do it when we're by ourselves. When nobody else hears, nobody else sees, nobody else listens to your voice, you can sing as loud as you want, as off-key as you want, and everybody loves it. Nobody cares, right? But God loves it because it's, sweet. it's a sweet sound to him when you sing to him and when you praise him and when you study his word. And I think that's why God wants us to do this on our own. I think another interesting point here is that we're all at different maturity levels, We're all different places in our own spiritual walk. When we come into a Bible setting or Bible teaching, we come into a group of people. Everybody is different. There are, um, it's a one-room schoolhouse, as we've said before. There's, There's kindergartners and there's grad students in the same setting. And we all have to be listening and hearing at the level that we're at. So don't think you have to be at the level of the most mature Christian in the, in the room to get anything. You can glean even from the little bit that you can understand at this point. But God will, the Holy Spirit will make it more and more relevant to you. And he can make it more important. The point is, how eager are you to learn? I think that's the key thing. Your eagerness determines your condition of your soil. If If you're not hungry, if you're not interested in learning, then you won't learn. If you just come in and are willing to come in and check the box that I went to church, then that's all you're going to get is a checked box at the end of the day. So by being eager and hungry and asking the Holy Spirit to bring life to the word is what's going to feed your soul. Does that make sense? So I hope that's the way we would come in. So I'm going to take the rest of the time today to talk more in general about this parable. Um, basically what it's describing is the condition of our heart. And it's, and it's describing the condition of the way we should maintain our heart's desire and our heart's um, um, position before the Lord. Either that we prepare our heart to hear the word initially or we prepare our heart to maintain a life of growth. I don't know about you, I grew up in a church and, and I really can't even remember the first time I heard the gospel message proclaimed. And I really don't even remember when I got saved. I mean, I can't point back to that point in time to say that was my salvation. I can point back to that time when I was 12 years old when I got filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit baptized me and I developed a prayer language. I mean, it was an instantaneous thing in my life as a 12-year-old boy and I remember that like it was yesterday. So that was very powerful for me. But life moves on. And I have to continue to grow in that. Maybe you can remember some of those highlights of your life as well. But you can't stay there. You have to grow beyond that. And you have to move into um, a more more maturing time in your life. And, And that's kind of what Jesus is talking about here with this parable. In this time that Jesus was speaking, the people were agriculturally based. So for them to hear this parable about sowing seed and a farmer... They could get that. We don't live in that kind of society necessarily today. We go to the grocery store to get our fruit and our produce. We don't grow it ourselves, even though we could. So for them to understand this parable, 
probably wasn't that difficult if they could just have the spiritual mindset. And I want to talk about basic, three basic truths that are highlighted in this parable. First of all, that life transformation and spiritual growth depend on how one responds to God's word. How you learn, how you grow is dependent basically really on what's, on what's happening inside your heart. The second truth is that there will be mixed reactions to the gospel by people in the world. Different people are going to receive it different ways. And then thirdly, there are numerous enemies of the word of God. What we're going to get out of the end of this message today is that we're going to find out we're going to be really one of two types of people. That the first type are those that receive and hear and retain the message of God's truth and put it into practice. That's the first group. Or the second group are those that, for various reasons, they hear the word of God, but they do not receive the word of God. And they do not hold fast to the truth that it is. And they do not remain a faithful believer. So you're either going to be a faithful believer or you're going to be an unfaithful believer. And that's what we're going to find out at the end of the, at the, end of the day today. And the question for all of us is going to be, which one are you? Which one am I? We'll come back to that. But a good farmer understands the importance of preparing the soil. Listen, you prepare the soil before you spread the seed. If you don't prepare the soil first, then you have, you, you've lost the opportunity to, to prepare the soil. Because once the seed is sown, and then if you go in and till or turn the soil over, you're destroying the seed. You're not giving the seed an opportunity to grow because you're turning, it up, you're turning it over and you're turning it up. So the preparation has to happen before this. And that's really the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in and prepares the heart to hear the word. You know, I, um, when I first started to pastor here back in 2009, um, the Lord was really dealing with me on some things. And, and I, uh, I don't know if it was a vision I received or exactly what it was, but I, I remember it very succinctly and very clearly as to what the Lord said to me. Um, actually, I was in Petoskey. I was in my car. I was in the Walmart parking lot. And I was up there for another reason to go see some people. And I was just preparing to go and see these people. And I just had to stop my car and pull over because this was so vivid to me. And I couldn't even drive. And, and maybe I've said that, maybe I've told you this before, but this is what the Lord, this is what happened to me. As I was in the car, I just saw in my mind that there was a large field. And I could see a, a plower, a, a farmer, uh, being, uh, you know, behind a big till and, and, and either pulling it with a tractor or, um, and you know, the big, the big soil, I don't even know what they're called. Um, the pl- a plow, I guess it's just a simple plow, right? But it was turning over the soil and it was, it was, the soil was gray and, and, and just kind of dry on top. But as that plow would pull that soil over, the soil would come over nice and black and moist, and it was just, it was an amazing thing to watch the power of that plow. But what happened there is, is that I could hear, and, and what I assumed this was, it was like this was a spiritual field, and the, the field was barren and dry, but as this plow came over and turned it over, it was creating a fertile soil, and what was happening in the spiritual world was uh, the enemy was 
upset about this. In fact, the enemy was, was screaming to me. And it, it got so empowerful so impactful to me that I, I began to weep over this and it just really stopped me right there in my track because the, the more the plow turned over the soil, the, scre- the louder the screams became. It was like the enemy was screaming, stop it, stop it, stop it, turn, stop turning the soil over. And it really impacted me as to um, what was, was going to happen, that God was trying to turn over the soil in the hearts of his people. And he was trying to prepare the soil to receive a new seed. And at the time, it was, it was very impactful for me because it kind of gave me my mission, my purpose of, of turning over the word of God in the lives of people to prepare people to receive a new seed. And even when I think about it this morning, as I was in praying about it, the Lord even made it new to me again. He said, Mike, I'm turning your soil over too. I'm turning your heart over too. And you know what? When that happens the enemy's not going to be happy about it. He's going to do everything he can to try to stop you from doing that. Because if the seed can be sown on rocky or hard or dry ground, it's not going to have any effect. But when I turn the soil over and it becomes fertile soil, then the seed can be very powerful and very impactful. And the enemy just does not like that. And so that really kind of helped me understand this parable a little bit, how important it is that our soil of our heart must be prepared so the seed can be planted. So let's let's take a look at these three basic truths. Number one, life transformation and spiritual growth really depends on how one responds to to the word of God. And so as we see, as we spread the seed on these three respective, four respective soils, we're going to see the difference in how the seed grows. The hard-hearted person is the one that is resistant to God's word, and he's been resistant for a long time. This is like a a lifestyle of resistance or rebellion against God. It's kind of like the person says, kind of speak to the hand. (laughs) I don't want to hear any more about God. I'm tired of hearing the truth of God's word. And, And that heart is so hard that it, there's no way the seed's going to get anywhere close to being, to germinating in that, in that soil. And that's why the soil needs to be turned over. That's why the heart needs to be crushed, if you will, by the Holy Spirit before the seed can have any influence. And an example of this is the story that we read um, about the prodigal son. And I think most of us know that story, so I don't have time to go into all of it. But basically, the story of the prodigal son is pretty simple in that the son had to experience all of the good and the bad of life on his own before he could come to an understanding of his father's love. We know the story, how the father gave him what he wanted. The, father, the son wanted all of his riches in advance. Before He wanted his wealth. He wanted his inheritance. He took it. He went to the city, and he squandered it. Made a lot of good friends while he had lots of money. While the partying was going on, he was very popular. But as soon as the, party, the money was gone, the partying was over, and his friends were over. And when things were good and he had the pleasures of life, his father didn't mean much to him. But as soon as he lost his wealth and he lost his friends and life got hard, things began to look very differently to the, to the, to the prodigal son. It took a crushing, if you will, of his life before the father made any sense to him. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 15. 
beginning in verse 16. He says, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. The the key phrase here that I want to point out is that when he finally came to his senses, when he finally came to his senses, understand this is the story of a Jewish boy (laughs) feeding pigs. Okay, and pigs were unclean animals. They were to be avoided by the Jewish person altogether. And here, this Jewish boy was feeding unclean animals, and he was so hungry that the pig's food looked good. That's pretty low in life, right? At that point, he understood how far he had fallen. He was finally at the lowest point of his life, and his heart was crushed. And then he came to his senses. And then he realized that he needed to ask for forgiveness and make his life right with his father. And that's the condition of the soil that it needs to be in our life. If we're really going to understand what God's word is and how it's going to impact ourselves, we need to be crushed. And for those that have prodigal children, let me just tell you that God loves your children more than you do. And that the way I pray and the way you should pray, I believe, is say, God, crush them. Crush my son, crush my daughter, crush their hearts, tenderize it so that the seed can get into their hearts. And and it's not my job as the father, as the mother to go out and to do that work. It's the job of the Holy Spirit. In fact, sometimes, guys, we can get between God's hammer and his anvil because we take, we, we bail them out, if you will. We think that our love has to solve the problems for our children. The prodigal son's father did not do that. The prodigal son's father stayed at home and he waited, and I'm sure he prayed a lot, but he was waiting for his child to come home. He had no idea, quite honestly, what was going on in his son's life, probably, because they didn't have text messages. They They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have ways to communicate like that. So his son was out living life and at the same time getting crushed. But it wasn't until the crushing happened did he come to his senses. So let me just encourage you, mom and dad, that grandparent, that if you have children and grandchildren that are wayward, keep praying for them. Keep believing for them. And and just believe that God loves them more than we do and that he will crush them. And that when he does, then they'll be prepared to receive the seed of the gospel. Then after that, we have a responsibility in our life to not just prepare it for receiving, but we have to prepare our hearts to maintain it. And this is where I think it spoke about in John chapter 15, verses four and five. This is this whole chapter of John 15. I encourage you to go read this because this is how we maintain our spiritual life by remaining in, by remaining in the vine. John says it this way in in verse 4. He says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. See, it's the person here that properly prepares the soil of their heart, first of all, to receive the seed. And then commits himself to maintaining his garden. And sometimes that hurts. 
Sometime the gardener comes in and he pulls the weeds or he trims the vine. Anything that's in your life that's not bearing fruit, he might want to say, get, that, get rid of that. It's not good. It's, it's not healthy for you. And it may be something that you like. <laughs> but if it's not good, then he may prune it out of your life. And sometimes we just need to, we need to let him do that. And it may make us uncomfortable. It may be awkward. It may be difficult. But if we're truly trusting the gardener, then we need to do that and let him produce good fruit. So the second truth then, the second truth is that there will be mixed reactions to the gospel by the world. There will be mixed reactions. Some will hear it and just not understand it. And more importantly, they have no desire to understand. I think that's really the key point is that it's not that they can't, they have no desire to. They have their minds already made up that God's not for them. That there's nothing anybody can do to change that. They come in hard-hearted and they're resistant. And there's nothing really we can do about that. That's what Mark says in verse 15 of of the fourth chapter. He says, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes in and takes it away. These are the people that have no interest in hearing or ever changing. And they've given Satan complete control of their life. They may not realize that that's what they've done, but in their stubbornness, in their resistiveness of their heart, they've given Satan control. They may be, and, and they, may be, they may be very nice people, very good people. They just don't realize what they've done. Is that it's, it, it, it's given Satan all the authority to steal from them what God wanted to give them. They've given it to Satan. The others will hear and believe the message of the gospel and it will take root in our life at least for a short season. These people are the ones that, um, let, me, let me just say they're chameleons. They come in and they, they play the church game. They may raise their hand for salvation. They may sing in a choir. They may even give in the offering a little bit. But as soon as anything difficult comes their life or to their life, or if they get in a different crowd, all of a sudden they have no root. They have no way to sustain their life through them. And when they face the difficulties and a test of God, a test of life, they give up. It's like, nope, can't do that. And the dangerous part for this group is because they're the ones that, are, that will say, I've been there, done that. I've got that t-shirt. It didn't work for me. It might work for you, but it didn't work for me. And they're the hardest ones to get to again. Because they say, I tried God, but God wasn't enough for me. I I had too many other things that I wanted to do. And so um, those are hard. Those are basically they're inoculated to the gospel to ever hear it again. A dangerous group to be in. These are the ones that have stony ground where the seed grows quickly, but it soon withers as verse 16 says, others, like seeds sown on rocky places, they hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Do you know people like that? Yeah, dangerous place to be. Maybe we've been that way, but thank the Lord he's gotten through some of those rocky times in our life. And then the third group is that they're the ones that hear and accept Christ as the previous group did. But their root goes a little deeper and they can handle the immediate tests 
of time, and they survive those tests for a longer period. But here's the danger of what happens to these people, is that they develop a relationship with Christ, and uh, they, be, they become involved in a church. They may even teach Sunday school. They may get involved in worship, and, and um, they may get involved in men's and ladies' groups and all kinds of things like that, and they look good from all the outward signs. Everything seems good. God blesses them. They get really comfortable. And here's the problem that happens potentially with so many people is that the blessings in their life become their curses. Listen to this because this is really important because this is something we could all can fall into very easily if we're not careful. That it's not the test of hard times that take them the way. It's the blessings of God that take them away from their true love, from their first love. I mean... I think we know about these people too, and maybe we've been or are those kind of people. You know, they get all the, they get the raise at work and they get some more money they can spend. So they buy a boat, they buy a cottage, they buy a motorhome, they buy new golf clubs, you know, whatever they buy that all of a sudden now they got to go play with. And they have to invest, they've invested all their time in their working hard. Um, maybe it's even retirement. They've worked all their life to retire. And now that they retire, they can go home and play the things that do, do they, that what they want to do. And ultimately what happens is that the thing that they work so hard for, it becomes their God because now they can enjoy it. Oh, it's a blessing of God. Yes, God has blessed me with this. Yes, he has. But now I have to be careful that I'm not worshiping the thing versus God, that I'm not worshiping the creation versus the creator. And that can be a real temptation for those. And, and when you have the things of God that are good in your life, don't let them become the things of God that, main, that, that control your life. Because otherwise you become like um, what Mark 4.18 says, that still others, he said, like seed among the thorns, hear the word. And they, it's good soil under there because it's produced thorns, right? But the worries of life, the de- deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Do you know what that's like? Does that make sense? Do you see how that can happen? How easily the blessings can become the curse? Sometimes the blessings, I think, are best defined as whatever turns your heart to Christ. And sometimes the best blessing in your life is heartache. Sometimes the best blessing in your life is losing that job or that pressure that turns your heart to Christ. Whatever turns your heart to Christ, consider that your blessing. Because the the blessing that takes your eyes away from Christ, that is defined as a curse. Something we need to really think about. And then finally, the third truth is that there are numerous enemies of the word of God. Let's name three of them. Satan clearly is an enemy. Secondly, oneself is an enemy. Our flesh man is an enemy. And then thirdly, the cares of the world are an enemy. These are the things that if we're not careful, they can come in and they can steal from us what God has established for us. Now, we certainly know that Satan is. And I think that we've got to be careful that we're not... um, so preoccupied with who Satan is that we're turning every, you know, we're seeing Satan under every stone, <laughs> that we're blaming everything on Satan. You remember Flip Wilson? 
The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Yeah, that was a big funny thing, wasn't it? The devil made me do it. Well, yes and no. The devil might have been there to tempt you to do it, but the devil cannot make you do it. It's our own self, and that's where our own flesh, our own natural desires um, can be a big enemy for us because we are bent to sin. I mean, that's our, our natural desire, our, our, our heart, our, our carnal heart is set on doing the things that please me, not really please God. And that can become a real enemy to my own life. I can be my own worst enemy, and that's dangerous. And then certainly the cares of the world, as we've already talked about, how, how those things can really take away my joy. I think the most miserable person that I know of is a rich man that's afraid he's going to lose his wealth. A rich man that says, I, don't, I have to keep working because I'm never satisfied. And I think we've all seen that, haven't we? I think we've seen it in a lot of people that have committed suicide or gone off the deep end because they were so successful they didn't know how to manage it, didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. We have to be really careful that we don't allow ourselves to put many gods out there in our life that would distract us. So to wrap this up, the fourth and lasting soil is the one that produces 30, 60, or 100 times the product. Mark 4.20, others like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word and accept it and produce a crop. Some 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. The question is, is that what we want? Jackie, would you come please? This is not a real difficult parable. I think it's really pretty easy to grasp. And I think when we look at how this can impact our lives, the difficult part is, are we going to receive it? Are we going to let it sink in and make a change in us? Or are we going to deny the fact that we need it? That's where, that's where I'm dealing with it. That's where I struggle with it. I think if I struggle, we probably all do, is because we need to understand how am I going to allow my life to be changed by God's word so that I produce godly things. It's too easy for me to, to push that away. It's too easy for me to ignore the things that truly would make me to be godly and just allow me to be me in my own self. And I think the thing that really helps us is when we move from making Jesus not just the Savior of our life, but now we've moved on from that, and now we're making him Lord of our life. You know what Lord means? Lord means we're changing ownership. I no longer own my life anymore. I've committed my life to Christ. I've, ex- I've, I've asked him in my life. I've asked him to forgive me. I've received his redemption. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. But now I'm doing more than just proclaiming it. I'm actually going to um, administer it by, by making Jesus Lord of my life. That's where I'm successful. That's where there's been a transaction of, of ownership, of being self-owned to being Christ-owned. And with that, then, I can manage my life and be abundantly um, productive. Living a Christian life is a good life. There's none better. 
than being a Christian and being a follower of Christ. None better. But it takes work. It takes effort on my point, my part, to make sure that I never let the things of this world get in to distract me from being a godly person. My commentary said this. It says that it matters more how a person continues spiritually to spiritually seek and follow after Jesus in faith and devotion than how a person started on their journey with him in the first place. Boy, that's really important. And here's the thing, guys. If you've, if you've questioned your faith in the beginning, if you're not sure where you're at with Christ, if because you said, oh, I've made so many mistakes in the past, I don't know how I'm ever going to find him, just ask him. Just ask him to come in and know that it's not how you start, it's how you finish. That's the thing that it really makes the difference. This determines which of these two categories you're going to be in. Are you going to be in the people group that have received and retained the message of God's word? Is that where you're going to end up? Or are you going to be in the second group where they might have heard it, but for various reasons, they, they don't hold fast to it? What's, what's your soil? What's the condition of your heart? Which one are you going to be in? Are you going to be... Are you going to be the one that finds yourself in the category of, I love Christ, I've served him, and therefore I am serving him, and I'm going to until the day that I'm, that time's over? Or are you going to be the one that says, I'm going to give up. It's not worth it. Time is short. I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we look at life today and we see the, the things that would draw us away from you. And God, I pray that you would help us in this area. I pray, Father, that you would just um, teach us, that you would just train us. And Lord, most of all, I pray, God, that we would be trainable, teachable. I pray, God, that our hearts would be tenderized by your spirit. And Holy Spirit, we invite yourself, we invite your presence with us today. Come and fill us up, Lord. Fill our hearts with your mercy and your grace that we would receive the word and we would allow it to grow in our hearts and lives and we would apply it quickly and effectively. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's just sing the song that Larry and Tom are playing as we prepare to go home today. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare your living home. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence Lord Holy Spirit you are welcome 
Father, that is our heart's cry this morning, that we would be overcome by your presence. Holy Spirit, that we would welcome you into our lives, that we would worship you and you alone, Father. Lord, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the way you've blessed us. Thank you for our homes and our cars and, and all of the blessings that we have. But, but Lord, help them never, ever to, to compete with you. Help us, Lord, to always keep our soil prepared and tilled and always inviting you in, God, just to make us more productive. And, and God, make us heavenly productive, that we would be concerned about the people around us and our families and those friends and that people in our sphere of influence, that we would be concerned about their spiritual life. Help us, Father, with that. And we just give you praise and we give you glory because we thank you for your mercies and your grace. We thank you for how faithful you are. We welcome you now, Holy Spirit, to go with us throughout this day, throughout this week. God, until we meet again on Wednesday night or next Sunday or whenever we come together as a group again, God, we just welcome you to be guiding us, to be leading us, to be tending our garden. We commit it to you and we ask you and we thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed today. Enjoy the day. It'll warm up, I promise. Six months from now. <laughs>